Hello, I'm Alec Wilkinson. For this month's podcast, we're in London and Miami. We're going to be in Florida to take a look at how the US sailing team choose their athletes for Tokyo 2020 to go to the Olympic Games this coming summer. Every country seems to have a different way of doing it, but the US have a very open, straightforward way that can engage the fans as well. So we're going to find out more about that, as well as the Titanic battle going on in the fin class to represent the USA. But first, we've come to this old, grand building in Pall Mall in London. You don't get much more establishment than this. But this is where we've come to find out more about this year's Vendée Globe race. Now, it's arguably one of the toughest extreme sports events in the world. Sailors have got to circumnavigate the globe solo and unassisted, and the fastest will take around 75 days. We've covered the race before on other episodes of this podcast. If you scroll down, you'll find those. But we're in London for the launch of the race, the international launch of the race. That's always been a very French affair, and it really is a huge, huge race over there. Literally hundreds of thousands of people turn up to wish the sailors well. However, this year, they have the largest number of international competitors taking part. They've got 11 different nations represented. Uh, Belgium, Spain, Italy, Switzerland. For the first time, there's going to be a Finnish competitor. Uh, there'll be two Germans, as well as a uh, New Zealand, uh, the US and Japan will be represented as well. So a really international affair. But how difficult is it for non-French sailors to put together a strong campaign. Pip Hare and Sam Davis are two of four British sailors taking part, and they've got two very different campaigns. Pip Hare, we're in the magnificent ROC, Royal Ocean Race Club in um, central London, St James's Place. Um, it's a grand, grand affair, this building, a very traditional sort of place. Um, in a way, it couldn't be further from what modern ocean racing is, is actually all about and a big element of that is is business and trying to put a project together and you've done that for this Vendée Globe how excited are you about achieving that and how surprised are you? I, it's a mixture of every emotion you can possibly imagine um, I am I'm continually astonished by how quickly I've managed to get this on the ground and how far I've got uh, you know, completing three Mocha qualification races in the last year and getting down to getting my entry in and, and down to the last 35 skippers on the list. You know, I'm immensely proud of what I've achieved last year. But, oh, my word, it's been such hard work. <laughs> Only six women have completed the Vendée Globe, Pip. Um, you're one of three uh, British women competing this year. Um, so Sam's the other one. Miranda Meron is the third. Um, does it make it harder, do you think, being a woman to raise those funds and put together a project? Um, I think it's hard for everyone. Um, I don't particularly see it's any harder for a man or a woman. Um, it's just that, you know, offshore sailing, unfortunately, in the UK is not a mainstream sport it's a shame because we're really, really good at it. And I think it's something to celebrate that 75% of the British entries are women and that is a massive over-representation over of women in our sport and we should be so proud of that. Three, three women, one man. 
wasn't it? So yeah. that, 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 that is a, a, a massive uh, sign, I think, of, yeah. of how things are changing. Um, so what does it cost to put a project together? So, I mean, obviously, with, with any budget, you, you have a sliding scale. And uh, the thing about the Vendée is that um, at the moment, any age of boat, so long as it classifies as an Imoka, um, can take part. And I'm taking part in one of the oldest boats in the fleet. So Alexia Barrier has a boat that's a year older than mine, but mine's a year 2000 boat. Um, my project um, is uh, got a budget of 1.2 million. So I would comfortably say it's the lowest budget project in the fleet um, the more money I'm able to invest in the project then the better my race is going to be because I can build more reliability into my boat I can improve things like autopilots I can get a better sail plan um, but essentially you know with with kicking my campaign off only two years before the event and starting with no title sponsor then my goal is to to get to the start line and to get to the finish and to finish this race in good shape um you know if i wanted to have a fully competitive campaign which i'm hoping for in 2024 then we're talking about millions so it's a long road isn't it this is this is a a way of you proving that you can do it and you can compete yeah this really was a unique opportunity for me to to get my toe in the door really to show people what I'm capable of because it's such a difficult sell just standing in a boardroom saying to someone you know I can do this and it's going to be amazing and and particularly for me you know I've always struggled with the selling aspect I prefer to demonstrate what I can do through actions and so when the opportunity became available to charter my boat even though it's an old boat I knew this was my chance to to really show what I'm capable of and it's actually an investment in 2024. It's interesting how that opportunity came about. Yes um, I had been looking at the concept of either buying or chartering an older Imoka for a while because you know the biggest barrier to getting into this class is getting the boat Um, and I I looked at several options which I ended up shying away from because they they just weren't going to work out economically Um, and I knew that my boat Superbigu was being chartered um, for a really reasonable sum Um, and at at the moment when I contacted the owner it was being chartered to somebody else I told him that I was interested and if it ever became available would he contact me and uh, he sent me an email literally six hours before I was about to push off uh, to do a transatlantic delivery from Portland in the US to the Azores and he basically said uh, it's available there's lots of other people interested you need to tell me in the next 24 hours whether you want this or not and I'd never actually seen the boat um, so I had to send a friend to go and look at the boat. He went and looked at the boat and said, this is your opportunity. This is your time. You would be crazy to turn this down. Um, and so from the middle of the Atlantic by satellite, having never seen the boat, I said yes. And that was it. Wow. Great story. Um, and now y- you've obviously raced that boat um, and you've bonded with it. And uh, tell me about that sort of relationship because that boat is your one and only friend for the however many months it takes to circumnavigate the globe. So it's uh, it's not quite a love-hate. I never get to the stage of hating it. <laughs> I love it because, you know, this is boat, my boat, this is my opportunity and, and these boats are just incredible to sail. They're so powerful. It's a physical experience. It's just 
beautiful. Um, but, you know, being an older boat, being a much heavier boat, it is monstrous, monstrously hard to sail. It's really physically demanding. I don't have a coffee grinder. All of my winches are top grind. Um, I can't hoist the mainsail from the cockpit. I have to go forward to the mast. Um, at the moment, all of my spinnakers are soft spinnakers in snuffers. So I'm having to deal with all of that forward of the mast. Um, and my keel is operated via block and tackle rather than a hydraulic ram so I actually have to go downstairs into the boat to move the keel so everything about it is hard um you know I haven't benefited from the 20 years of development that's happened to make it easier for a person to sail the boats um so you know it does beat me up it it asks a lot of me it pushes me to the limits but the boat is a tank and if this one day is about getting to the end you know, becoming the seventh woman ever to finish this race, then this is the weapon for me, without a doubt. <laughs> um, what about the, the physical side of it then? Because it, it sounds brutal um, from what you've described. Uh, are you doing special training or are you just so busy on, you know, on the business aspect of it that you, you don't have time? That's been a really hard thing to keep a balance on. In fact, you know, all of it, the many, many, many things that I need to achieve on a daily basis, it it would be really easy to let my physical conditioning go by the wayside. But one thing I promised myself is that I wouldn't end up in the situation where I had all the funding, but I wasn't capable of sailing the boat. So I, I make sure that I train six days a week. Um, I do weight training, uh, so three mornings a week. I get up at half past five and go and lift heavy things in a gym. Um, I do heaps of running for my endurance and to keep my heart healthy. Um, And I'm also, uh, in the next couple of months, I'm going to be working with a lecturer in sports physiology in Bournemouth University to look at uh, my dietary requirements, but also trying to move my training into peak performance. You're in your 40s now. (laughs) Does it get more difficult? Do you know what? Um, no. I, I, so I, two years ago, um, I was knocked off my bike and I broke my pelvis. And it took me a year to recover from the broken pelvis. And before then, I think I was in the best physical condition I've ever been in my life. And breaking my pelvis was a real sign to me that, you know, it took me a long time to heal. But I just had this understanding that, that, you know, I could not let my physical condition slip and I needed to try hard to keep on top of it. And I think, you know, the interesting thing about uh, an event like the Vendée is it's about endurance and endurance sports favours older people because it's about what's in your head. you just got to keep your body in good enough condition and then let your head do the rest. So it's hard work, but but I think in my 40s, I'm, I'm still well up for this. Very best of luck. Well, right on cue, here's Sam Davis. Um, Sam, this is going to be your third uh, Vendée Globe race. You were fourth uh, in 2008-9. Your next attempt, unfortunately, didn't finish because you were dismasted. But uh, am I right in saying this is the best-funded project you've you've worked on, the best-funded team um, as far as the Vendée Globe is concerned? Yes, uh, I think so. And uh, it's the best project that I've had for a Vendée Globe uh, since my career in the, in the Vendée. Um, so it's not just in the funding. 
I'm really lucky as well because Initiative Care is a project that's really well established and I've had the chance to have the boat and sail with the boat since pretty much the end of the last Fondé Globe um, and so it's also about experience. So I feel like, yeah, I've got, I've got a really good uh, funding, not the newest or best boat, um, but we've been able to modify her and try and keep her in touch with the latest. Uh, and definitely for me, it's I'm, I feel like I've got the most experience. I'm probably readier than I've ever been, and, and that counts for a lot as well. Um, let's talk about Initiative Cur, which uh, translated would be the Heart Initiative mm-hmm. uh, or the Heart Project. Um, tell us about that, first of all. It's really cool. I like hearing it translated and, and it's great to be able to share it with the English-speaking people. Initiative Care is a project that's quite unique in itself. Um, Initiative Care isn't the name of our sponsor. Uh, it's the name that the the project has, has been given since 2012. It's a symbol for the fact that the project supports a charity in France. And the charity in France is called Missionaire Chirurgie Cardiac, uh, which is a charity that helps save lives of kids who mostly are born with heart defects and who have been born in countries that don't have the facilities to operate on them to fix the problems they've got. Um, If they were born in the UK or in France or in a developed country, then they probably would get that operation in the first few weeks of their life and they wouldn't even know that they'd ever been ill and they get their operation and they get better and when they go back to their family in their country uh, most of the kids never ever have to see a doctor ever again. Well I know how close it is to your heart and what it means to you as as a mum as well because um, I've seen a video out there online of you actually at one of the operations and it is it is very moving let's just talk business though so where does the money come from how have you managed to be so well funded project initiative care has two sides to it it has uh, the sailing project side which is the side that everybody knows about and it's pretty much no different from any other project in that respect i've got a technical budget that's supported by sponsors so i have three Three main sponsors, uh, three companies, Initiative, uh, which is uh, quite a small company in in Le Mans in France, uh, who work with schools and and charities, Uh, K-Line, who are a leading window company who are based in the Vendée, and uh, Vinci Energies, who are an international, I think they're in 53 different countries. So these three sponsors, they, they provide the technical budget and they get the return. We work with them. Each company different has different requirements. And then we have this operation called uh, One Click One Heart Uh, and so when I do the big race each year for every new fan click like on the social networks each of those three sponsors give one euro to the charity and we set ourselves a goal and so we try and aim to save x number of lives knowing that it costs uh, on average about 12,000 euros to save one kid's life and so in the last transit check fab for example we saved 27 kids lives uh, Fantastic. And, and, and as you race the fans are seeing you know seeing your your boat and they show their support by going online and, and clicking like and that's donating a, um, a euro and it's not even their own money it's the sponsor's money 
No, it's totally free for the pub, for the public, and so so we have a, this massive fan club every time because uh, obviously it's for a good cause, and and I feel like I'm now doing sport at top level, not just for the the selfish kind of doing sport at top level. I'm also doing it for a real reason, and that's to save lives, and uh, and it's so motivating when I'm out there on the water, and motivating to communicate well because I know that if I do some good videos, then we'll get more fans, and um, a great way to share the project, and and our sponsors get a good return as well because they effectively they pay a lot of money to the charity um which is great for them and internally they they love that um but also um it means that they're paying as they're getting more and more followers on the social networks as well so so it works really well for everyone and um it's uh, it's amazing because they're three really different companies as well and 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 it's amazing how supporting a charity and um and at the same time as having an amazing adventure sailing around the world can actually um create this bond between people that are really really different how much money does one need to put on a really competitive campaign in the Vendée globe because you know we have all sorts of figures let's say for the america's cup you know 100 million minimum um but what, what does the Vendée globe cost to be competitive i'm not sure i can give you that answer um because it, it's something that's evolved so much and I think different people have different opinions and, and I think the magic of the Vendée Globe is the fact that there isn't one figure and there isn't one number and and yeah, for sure, the the budget, the people with the higher budgets are the ones that are most likely to win and, and if you want to guarantee inverted commas a win, then yeah, you have to put a lot of money in but um, at the same time you never can never guarantee a win in the Vendée Globe and that's the the magic of this race and and for me personally uh, I proved that in 2009 I had uh, a very old boat and little experience and and managed to on a crazy race with a lot of bad weather and um, and and breakages manages managed to almost get on the podium we commentated on the arrivals on the finish of the last Vendée Globe um, hopefully I'll be doing that again but this time you won't be in the commentary box you'll be crossing the the finish line um, in in first place and raising lots of money for Initiative Cur. so um, best of luck uh, meanwhile you and I better go because we've got a press conference to do <laughs> thanks for part two of the podcast, we've come to the U.S. Sailing Team Center in Miami. Uh, we're in Coconut Grove, a district of the city that is as lovely a place as it sounds. Slightly less gram- glamorous, I have to admit, is the boat park. Uh, and that's where we're at right now uh, because the sailors have been in action in the World Cup series, which for the U.S. team is one of their qualification events as they try and decide who will represent the country at Tokyo 2020. So the boats have been out on the water uh, today. Um, they've just come back into the boat park. They're hosing them down. We're going to catch a word with a few of the sailors in a moment. Um, for those of you new to Olympic sailing, uh, I should explain uh, that there are more countries competing in Olympic class boats than there are available spots for the Games. So um, it, as part of the Olympic cycle, the first thing athletes have to do is qualify their country. Now, We've gone beyond that. Most of the countries have now qualified for the different classes. Once the countries are qualified, then the sailors have to basically battle it out with their teammates to take the one only spot that is available for each country in each class. So it does make for some real drama. And 
the reason I'm focusing on the US team is because they have probably the most straightforward system to understand. They basically assign uh, a bunch of events to their sailors. They say to them, these are qualification events, and each sailor gets points according to how well or badly they do in those events. Once everyone has competed in all the events, uh, it's quite easy to see who has the most points and who will represent the country at Tokyo 2020. Now, there's a titanic battle going on in the Finn class for the Americans uh, because there are two guys, Caleb Payne, who won bronze at Rio 2016, and Luke Muller, the young 23-year-old who is looking to knock Caleb Payne from his perch. And at the moment, he's doing it all right. We're halfway through this qualification event, and Luke Muller has an eight-point lead over Caleb Payne with one event to go after this. So let's catch up with them now, see how things are going, see how they deal with this. And we're going to walk across to uh, Caleb right now. He's just finished hosing down his boat. So uh, let's have a chat with him. Caleb Payne, you've just been out on the water. A big battle between you and, and, and Luke Muller going on. Yep. Um, how, how is that managed within the team? Yeah, it, t to be honest, you know, the whole goal between the two of us is to try and win a medal at the Olympic Games. Um, you know, I think both of us have a lot of work to do, and we're, we're doing our best individually and then also as a team to try and make that happen um, and just trying to improve. You know, it's a, it's a friend, friend, friendly rivalry, and uh, him and I are actually working together afterwards, fortunately enough, with the American Magic and the America's Cup. So even regardless after all this is over, we're still co-workers, you know, so it's, uh, it's great to have someone uh that i work so well with and um looking forward and and you know make it all happen then so yeah um now you got the bronze um last time round yeah. in rio uh, luke wasn't even in a fin then yeah. he was sailing the the laser so four years ago or three and a half yeah. years ago would you have been surprised that you you were being run this close uh no absolutely not no luke's a great sailor and uh he, he actually did do some fin sailing um before the the last olympics but um no no he, he's a great sailor and uh, a great competitor and young and these young guys always uh they definitely come with you know fervor and, and fire and it's uh the, the older guys to step up to the challenge but this time, Caleb, you, I guess you're finding yourself in the same situation or reverse situation yeah. um, for when you were qualifying for Rio. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, uh, no, it, it's, you know, I think the U.S. has had a great kind of, um, you know, tradition with uh, bringing the younger guy along. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it seems to repeat itself. And, um, yeah, Zach went to the Olympics in 2012, and uh, I had to compete against him in 2016 to win the spot. And uh, that's happening again. So, yeah, it's kind of funny how full circle, um, you know, the same thing seems to happen. But, uh, you know, when you have a great program and people who work together, uh, that's inevitable. So. How do you find the, the, the difference mentally, psychologically for you, being, being in, in, in a reverse situation? Yeah, um, sailing against Zach Rayleigh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just slightly different. You know, I can kind of understand why he made some of the decisions he made and um, trying to learn from that myself. And, uh, but yeah. was it, was it, is the pressure more now or was it more before? Um, oh, I would say more now for sure, but, you know, being that you're the, uh, the Olympic representative from the previous years. Um, 
but you know at the same time uh, that's all man-made manufactured so you know you have to be able to navigate that and uh, that's what I'm trying to do now. Different teams have different ways of choosing their representatives so first you know the the issue is qualifying the nation which you, you've done you did a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the USA team is that it's quite clear it's, it's done on points and yeah. there is a system there. Yeah. Can, can you explain it you know give us an overview? Yeah basically like the whole whole point thing is just to make it as fair as possible purely based off of results and um yeah it's just plainly that simple to to see who can uh, qualify and go to the games so there are some some events that qualify and some events that yep. that don't yep exactly yeah so uh the, there are three here miami's one of them it was the worlds in melbourne that just happened in december and then the world championships on the fin uh in may and palma so but, but there must be a part of you that says yeah but do you know what i've already got a bronze olympic medal i've got the experience of yeah. having gone to the games and done that and, yeah. you know improved myself yeah. uh, doesn't you know shouldn't that give you the edge for oh for sure you know there's definitely experience that i carry on i've been sailing the fin for almost 10 years now and um those are all all things that uh definitely help me and i think this for god is kind of an example of that i was able to put kind of pieces together and things i've learned about myself and uh kind of forget about last year not going so well and and hopefully this next coming year uh kind of swing more in my favor um now you're from california uh we're obviously in florida okay. luke's from florida okay. um does he have a bit of an advantage here uh i mean there's no doubt he sailed in this bay a whole lot longer but uh i think if you look at the results uh they kind of speak for themselves so yeah okay um, tell me about your work at american magic how's that going oh it's great we have an awesome team um i'm, I'm so thankful to be a part of it you know uh especially especially with uh, Terry and, and the, the powers that be to really want to get Americans involved in the America's Cup. is uh, It's fantastic and uh, honored to be a part of it. So Terry Hutchinson, the, the, the skipper and, and, and I guess principal of the team, has he assigned specific roles yet or are you, is it yeah. still quite fluid? No, no, I'm definitely a grinder. I'm going to be uh, turning handles and, as we say, uh, in the engine room, so doing everything I can to make the boat uh, operate at full potential. And, and that seems to be the lot for a lot of fin sailors because yeah, yeah. you're naturally big guys strong guys because of the weight of the boat and that's what you need to be yeah. to, to sail the fin um, but when you're on American Magic and you're looking out and you're seeing puffs of wind you know you're used to sailing your own boat and making those calls you find it frustrating absolutely not no I think it's just a totally different kind of sailing um, and I that, that's one of the greatest things about this sport is you can do it individually and then also being a member of a team and uh, you have to be great at both in order to truly call yourself a great sailor so go, going back to the friendly rivalry between you and Luke so um, and I'm going to ask him as well in a minute what what would you say is is your strength over over Luke you know I, I think just Time in the boat, experience, just sailing for a long time, you know, obviously having the Olympics under my belt and Olympic trials as well. Um, but yeah, just, just kind of time, you know, it, it, it's, you see these scenarios time and time again and um, it teaches you patterns and hopefully you make the right decision uh, over that time. doesn't always work out that way though. You're all so diplomatic. Um, <laughs> and what about off the water? Oh, Luke's way better at emails. Way better. I'm terrible at emails. The worst. Absolutely the worst. Give me a text, I'll, a call, no problem. Email, nope. Not going hear anything back. Okay. Well, best of luck. Sweet. Thank you so much. So we come across the boat park to um, what I think is the medical tent. And uh, Luke Muller is, is sitting here having his uh, toe seen to and taped up. What, what's this? I've been uh, battling a uh, ingrown toenail the last... 48 hours and uh 
You should, you should, you should, you should have told us it was a racing injury. You know, made yourself sound more heroic. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's been a brutal battle. I think this is the hardest <laughs> thing that I've done all week. Uh, so, and the, the the medic you've just shown it to went, oh, gross. Uh, so if if the doctor's not liking the look of it, that's always a that's always a concern. Is this painful? Uh, you're not no, looking, you're not looking comfortable. It, it's okay now, but. Last yeah, night I I didn't well. sleep much because of it. All oh, right. Oh yeah. You okay? Real yeah. Big yeah. Difference? No, no, totally fine. So um, <laughs> let, let let's talk about sailing. If if you can concentrate on yeah. on that for a, a little while and and feel free to scream out in in agony if if you want to. <laughs> so this this rivalry. Um, for, first of all, we're we're in Miami, your home waters. Um, that's got to be an advantage, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I haven't lived here um, in like seven years, but uh, I did grow up sailing here, and so um, in years past it has helped me, but uh, this year apparently um, my local knowledge has not proved wise, so uh, <laughs> it's given me some confidence, but um, maybe too much. So tell us about this sort of internal rivalry with, within the team, because there, there are quite a few sailors in a, a number of classes still battling it out to, to get out on top, but I think the Finn is, is the closest, isn't it? Yeah, right. So um, Caleb and I um, are obviously trying to win selection for the Olympics, um, and only one, is, uh, one of us can have that. So um, we're try- we've tried every day uh, <laughs> for quite a long time to uh, beat each other in every single little thing both on and off the water but so, uh, how, how e- easy is it because I know you work together as well at, at uh, American Magic so how easy is it to, to keep that relationship going and to challenge each other on the water yeah you just got to be able to flip on and off um, from you know when you're racing and when you're on the water and when you're off the water um, it's simple as um, yeah knowing when to be a competitor and when to be just a teammate and, and how easy or difficult is that? I mean, do you have to uh, quite intentionally make a switch out on the water? Yeah, you know, I think uh, in any relationship, there's uh, times where you have to be patient and take time to yourself before you, uh, you know, before you uh, go and interact with, you know, your teammate or partner. And uh, so that happens. But obviously, there are other times where we just get along fine. So. Now, I know it's all fairly done on points, this, this team selection uh, within the USA team. Um, but, you know, uh, Caleb's there thinking, I've got a bronze medal under my belt already at, at Rio, and I've got the experience. If we're really close on points, which you are, then maybe I should have the advantage, you know? What would you say to that? Yeah, I would say that sailboat racing is sailboat racing, and it's not over till it's over, and, uh, you know, what has happened in the past doesn't um, prove or uh, predict future results, so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd hope that he's on his toes. But uh, apart from, a, you know, an Olympic bronze medal, uh, Caleb's, what, in his late 20s, you're 23, you're the kind of the young, the young buck coming through, you should know your place, shouldn't you? You've got time. I don't know. I think uh, this is the last time the Finns going to be in the Olympics, and I've got to give it all I got and use my youth and uh, and uh, vivaciousness to uh, take what I can. Will this be your last time at the Olympic Games? Do you think because the Finn is going, or do you see yourself maybe moving into offshore sailing or possibly back to the laser? Yeah, I'd never say never. Um, I don't think it's in the plan currently, but I, I wouldn't count it out. Um, you know, I'm very much a competitor, and I can't say now what will happen, but we'll see. 
keeping your options open. Absolutely. Um, t- tell me about what you're doing at American Magic and the America's Cup. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a grinder for the team. I'm also it's my first cup, and I'm the youngest uh, sailor um, hired on, and so I'm really. Um, learning as much as I can from the guys. We're obviously pushing really hard in the gym and trying to stay super fit and uh, get good at the motion of grinding um, and the aerobic capacity that goes with that, Um, but also learning what an America's Cup campaign entails. What are the hard things? What are the easy things? Where can you make improvements every day? Um, And so really my job is to learn from all the experience around me and to uh, try to be as big or as great as an asset as I can be uh, come race time. It's kind of a shame, though, isn't it, that at 23 you're considering the end of your Olympic career because because the class will no longer be part of the Olympic Games. Yeah, it's it's quite sad that it's out of my control, um, but as an athlete we focus on what is within our control and, um, you know, I just got to do my job to try to qualify for the Games, so that's my focus. There's more money in the America's Cup, isn't there? There is, <laughs> um, but there are certainly benefits to uh, running your own Olympic campaign and I've learned tons from it uh, and I think it's invaluable, so yeah. So finally, um, who's going to win this this between you and Caleb, eh? Who's going to Tokyo 2020? Well, I'll be uh, doing my best to do my job and uh, get that spot. So, <laughs> All right. Well, your toe's been fixed. <laughs> you seem to be walking again. So um, good luck. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Since we recorded those interviews, Caleb Payne won the Miami event. He took the gold. Luke Muller finished third overall. So they will now go into the final qualification event in May. That's the Finn World Championships in Palma in Mallorca uh, with Luke Muller leading, but with only a six-point advantage. Now, still wide open are the 470 women, the Laser Radial and the 49er FXs. They are really close going into their final qualification events and you can follow it all on the US Sailing website. But that's it for now from me, Alec Wilkinson. Hope you've enjoyed Sailing Uncovered. We'll see you again soon.